0: Three 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 one nine three three online at mypremereortho dot com
1: Good afternoon. It is Friday, July 20th. This is Noon Edition on WFIU with Gretchen Frazee. I'm Stan Jostrebsky. We will spend the next hour talking about Indiana's voter ID law. We hope you will join us for that discussion. You can call in to our program between now and one o'clock by dialing 812 855 You can call toll-free at 877 9348 Also leave a comment at our website, WFIU.org/slash Noon Edition, where we now have a live Live chat up and running about the topic, and follow us on Twitter at Noon Edition. Helping us today in studio are Albrecht Holshue with the League of Women Voters of Indiana, also Abdul Hakim Shabazz, an attorney with Lewis and Wilkins and Indianapolis and a political commentator, and Brad King, the Republican co-director with the Indiana Secretary of State's Office's Election Division. Thanks to all three of you for being here today and helping us out with that. Good to be here. Thank you very much.
2: And Good we should here. we should mention that the Indiana Election Division is a bipartisan organization, and Brad King represents the Republican side of the spectrum, like Stan just mentioned. Um, we do have a statement from Trent Deckard. Brad King's Democratic counterpart at the Indiana Election Division. Deckard says, quote, Just as Mr. King and I have different political backgrounds through our two nominations, we respectfully have different opinions on Indiana's photo identification requirement, now six years after implementation of the act. Deckard also says that since the photo identification law is the current law of the state, he and others at the Indiana Election Division do everything in their power to make sure people are in compliance with that law. But he says, I respectfully believe that the implementation of the photo identification law in Indiana created greater headaches for all Hoosiers involved than the actual headaches it hoped to remedy. I have given this advice to a fellow administrator from another state who candidly asked for my thoughts. Finally, I believe that the General Assembly should consider investing serious efforts into recodification of Indiana's election laws, including the photo identification requirement, which will make greater sense for both voters and administrators.
1: So we want to do, again, point out that this, this is a, a bipartisan effort here, and it's something that we always try, Brad, to be very careful of saying that, you know, you guys always work in tandem with one another. And there's uh, it is, is laid out both sides of the spectrum, try to be represented. But as, as Trent says, you know, the law of the land is the law of the land in Indiana. Well, and that's exactly what we're talking about today is what is the law now and, and where is that? Where does that stand? So with that in mind, we'll, we'll get moving.
2: We do want to uh, remind our listeners that they can join us as well. You can join us by calling us at 812-855-0811 or toll-free 877-285-WFIU. You can also follow us on Twitter at Noon Edition or visit us online at WFIU.org slash Noon Edition to be a part of our live chat that we have going on there. Um, Brad, let's start first with you. Can you just kind of give us a brief history of Indiana voter laws and tell us you know, why um, really the state got into this, implementing the voter ID laws?
3: Well, Indiana has a remarkable history uh, regarding both the election process and voter registration process. Uh, voter registration was not always present in Indiana. Uh, in the 19th century, in the pioneer period, uh, individuals just showed up at the polling place, and were allowed to vote. Uh, This led to some pretty serious abuses in the 1888 election where some enterprising individuals were reported to have gotten on trains at the Ohio border and gotten off at each stop to cast a ballot in the presidential election of that year. The Indiana Constitution was amended to require the voter registration system uh, in the late 1800s and during the course of the next hundred years uh, various safeguards were added to protect the integrity of the election system uh, in two thousand and five The Indiana General Assembly adopted what 's commonly referred to as the the photo ID law uh, it 's important to understand I think that that was part of a package of legislation that also tightened up on other problem areas in elections such as absentee ballot fraud
1: we've we've talked a lot uh in the last several years you know i guess 7 years now about how this law has been implemented and it's been implemented in a number of ways in the in the many states that they have voter id laws are there things that are specific to indiana's law that that do not exist elsewhere
3: yes there are in particular a number of the safeguards that indiana adopted to make sure that No one was disenfranchised uh, as a result of ignorance of the law. Uh, No one was disenfranchised due to indigency. Indiana has a procedure that permits any voter uh, who is willing to state in an affidavit that they are indigent, that they're unable to pay the cost to obtain the necessary ID, uh, to have their ballot counted. There is no test or qualification that a voter has to meet to prove that they're indigent. It's a simple statement. And that is unique to Indiana, so far
1: as I know. We've talked uh, about that idea of, of voter disenfranchisement. I want to bring the other two folks on the panel here into the conversation, um, and, and feel free to just jump in at any point you want to stop me. <laughs> <laughs> uh, as far as the idea of voter disenfranchisement goes, it's one of these ideas that is, in many cases, easy to talk about but hard to prove. I would say. Um, from let's start with what's with the the point of view of the League of Women Voters, is this a, a topic that is is talked about a lot as something that still needs to be corralled, or is it talked about maybe in the other fashion, which is, hey, now that we have the idea that people need to identify themselves clearly through some sort of piece of identification, that it is, in fact, on the decline? Uh, that what is on the decline? That, that voter disenfranchisement is on the decline.
4: Uh. <clears throat> I have no opinion on, on the latter. The uh, League of Women Voters is uh, concerned first, as as you stated, that uh, certain voters may have difficulty uh, <coughs> legitimizing uh, their, their registration by providing the necessary background doc- documents, uh, the various kinds of difficulties, and we can go into uh, some, some detail. But then also... That such difficulties have a discouraging effect on certain parts of the uh, of the population, uh, where persons will simply not very hard uh, work very hard to find the necessary documents, or will just say, "Oh, nobody listens to us anyway," and just not pursue the part path to a vote.
2: On the other hand of that, um, you know, just thinking about, obviously, Brad, you mentioned that this was kind of a way to maybe even clean up the voter rolls. Is there any way to just kind of put into numbers how a a law like this, a photo ID law like this, would help the rolls? I mean, does it really? I know that recently even some of the counties here in the state were were sued because they had, you know, over 100 percent of people in their county on their rolls.
5: Well, one of the things... uh to think about. I want to just get to Albrecht's point that he made real quick here about people being disenfranchised. Uh, I cover politics and government uh, in the capital city in Indianapolis. So you look at Indianapolis, a very large, urban you know, setting, you know, a mix of people that you would probably find that would be, quote-unquote, disenfranchised by voter ID. The 2004 presidential election, turnout in Marion County was 53.6%. In the 2008 election, Barack Obama, top of the ticket, Fifty-four point seven percent. So, having gone through a few years of two thousand six, two thousand seven, two thousand eight, a voter ID voter turnout is basically pretty much exactly the same, just a little bit above. So, if there's all this disenfranchisement, my question is, where is it? Where are these people who who can't vote, who can't find of who can't find an ID? If you need an ID. You know, if I buy movie tickets to see Batman: The Dark Knight this weekend on Fandango, when I go to the movie theater, I got to show my ID. Otherwise, I don't get my movie tickets. If I got to show ID to get movie tickets, why not show an ID to protect, you know, one of the fundamental principles of democracy, which is people having the right to have their vote count? Let me ask the devil's advocate side of that,
1: which is you had an election in 2008 where there was much greater interest, you had greater voter turnout. Across the state of Indiana, you have a very democratic city, typically voting-wise, in Indianapolis, and yet your voter your voter turnout, as you point out, is, is relatively flat. Would it not stand to reason that there should have been a spike in those numbers, but for some factor that could include voter disenfranchisement from the voter id law should there not have been a spike in voter turnout as you saw
5: nationwide and statewide in fact well ironically we did if you look at the primary if you look at if you compare the numbers of the may 2004 primary eighteen point seven percent voter turnout the 2008 primary gosh uh, darn near thirty six percent uh voter turnout because also you had a contested primary hillary clinton barack obama so there's that energy there's enthusiasm everybody wants to get in on the action, I think our problem is, you know, with voter participation. Maybe there's some other factors in play: voter apathy, people just not caring, or, or just people just being plain lazy that can keep people away from the polls. I don't think necessarily it's voter ID.
2: You know, we've talked again, you know, just in the in the talking about what really goes into this. Obviously, in, when it was brought before the Supreme Court. Um, people brought up the idea of a poll tax. Just kind of what are your thoughts on that? Um, obviously, the IDs here in Indiana are free, but I know that there are some other costs involved with perhaps getting that. What, what are your thoughts on that? Certainly.
4: I mean, there are other costs, namely uh, in providing the necessary documents and in transportation. Uh, in in our county here, the problem is not too great, but of course it is. Uh, in, in other parts of the of the country and, and in Indiana as well, it is not possible for uh, every potential voter, every person who has would have the right to vote, uh, to actually procure all, all the documentation and so on. They, they may be able to find somebody who takes them to a downtown office at the time when it is, when it is open. This would have to be repeated because some, uh, quite often it takes several uh, visits. But uh, it is not easy for everybody to, for example, pro- provide the uh, certified documents of every uh, marriage and divorce throughout their lives. That is, for example, is, is one of those things. And uh, there, there are other, and of course, birth certificates. There are well-known stories about that. <clears throat> but um, the the concern is not so much in large numbers of voters being disenfranchised as a result uh, of not being able to get a, at the documents, they, they do exist. They can be shown, but not a sufficient number of them and uh, not sufficiently strong cases could be shown when the case for the Indiana law was before the courts. Uh, it, it is uh, m- more uh, important that one also look at the other side, how much fraud actually was there. Uh, Having large voter registration lists is a totally different issue and has nothing to do with a a fake identification, which we're trying to prevent in this case. And so uh, if one compares the potential damage from disenfranchising voters to the potential damage of unauthorized voters in Indiana. We are not in the 19th century anymore as the case was shown here. Uh, I think the whole issue looks a little different. The law may, if one looks just at disenfranchisement versus fraud, may have done more damage than good.
5: I got a step in on that whole issue of a, a, a poll tax. Because whenever the, the poll tax argument comes up, my eyebrows start to just arch and go crazy. Uh, you probably can't tell but listen to the radio, but I actually am African-American. Um, but the, the thing is, as somebody whose grandparents, I, I can clearly remember stories of my uncle uh, talking about when his father or uncle took him to vote in the 1940s and 50s in a very segregated South of his older parents having to deal with poll taxes, Literacy tests and just some of the most blatant forms of of discrimination. So on, on a scale of is having to show a voter ID is equating voter ID to to a poll tax, I, I just can't accept that that premise. And when we talk about the cost of voting, there are always going to be costs in voting. You can't go to the polls naked. And most people we see go to the polls. You don't want to see them naked. But guess what? You've got to wear clothes. You've got to wear shoes. There will always be some cost in voting. The question is, by having somebody show a photo ID, does that increase their cost any more or substantially burden them than anything else? And, and I submit to you, no, we use ID as, a fo- as our way of life. You know, Cash a check at the grocery store, nine out of ten times, you've got to show some kind of ID. You want your government check or government assistance, guess what? Nine out of ten times, you've got to show ID. I think what we're getting at here in many ways is
1: that there's there's a disconnect between whether we have just changed the way that problems can occur with voting in this country or whether we have in fact found ways to solve them because you can make the you can make the the distinction between what is a poll tax and what is Causing people to have to go through these hoops to get an ID, you can also say that maybe it's just the logical evolution of that same problem. You know, obviously we vote very differently now than we did in 1888. Um, you know, James Blaine may have fewer problems in 2012 than he had in the 1880s, um, uh, but at the same time, I wonder if. If there is a distinction to be made here, and Brad, I'll have you weigh in on this, if you look at the technological differences, for instance, of the way that we vote now with, um, you know, we've got different counties having different rules because they have different sets of technology that you use to vote, and they're all, you know, approved by the state first, and you've got this small list you can choose from, Um, but is there – Some aspect of this argument that boils down to how physically we cast ballots now and thus because of the technological method by which our votes are counted that this voter ID law became more or less necessary based on, you know, what the difference is between now and the people riding the train in 1888.
3: Well, I think technology certainly has an impact, but maybe not in the way that we're discussing with voting systems themselves. Uh, The voting systems are certified after an extensive testing process involving federal laboratories and national certification uh, by the Federal Election Assistance Commission. Where I think the, the impact of technology and how we vote comes in is the advent of computer databases. Uh, For example, the statewide voter registration system connects all 92 counties and provides a way for registration records to be updated far more quickly than they were in the past in strictly a paper-based system. But the information there is a powerful tool that can be used and sometimes misused uh, by bad actors in the political process. Uh, To give one example, uh, absentee ballot information, you know, if you've applied for an absentee ballot, if it's been mailed to you, uh, is a public record. And individuals in certain counties have been indicted for using that information uh, to attempt to either intimidate voters, steal ballots. And they wouldn't have been able to do that nearly as easily uh, in the days prior to that technology being available.
2: We do want to take a quick uh you know, time just to say that um, our listeners can also join the conversation, so you can call us at 855-0811 or toll-free 1-877-285-WFIU. That's 9348. Or you can join our live chat at WFIU.org slash Noon Edition or tweet us at Noon Edition.
1: I wonder if there is a, a distinction here between urban and rural voters because, you know, the way that votes typically break down is – it is much, much easier to, for instance, turn an election if you can turn the populations of Indianapolis Evansville, Fort Wayne in favor of a single candidate, um, places where you 've got much more accessible, for instance, transportation to get to the places you would need to get to get the ID or to get to your polling place and say i look i don 't have what I need, but here I'm, here I am, I want to vote versus you know the counties that kind of surround where we are now green county, Owen County, much less. Um, you know, infested with, with transportation options. You have to have a car, a bicycle, something. Is there a difference between urban and rural voters and how they are affected by this law? Do you think, Albrecht, well, why don't we start with you on that? Uh,
4: and I think so, because uh, voters who are not likely to have all the necessary documentation quite often uh, in the rural counties live outside the centers of those counties live dispersed uh, in the agrarian and and wooded areas. Uh, This is very easy to find. You only have to drive out of town, take a bike instead of a car, and you will find a lot of that. Yes, there is a connection like that uh, as well here. They not not only uh, do not have easy access to public transportation, they do not have close neighbors either. The the, uh, the communi- their communication practices are not as highly developed, uh, likely to be, likely to be as highly developed. Namely, the all the all the new media that are available for other people. Yes, there is, there is uh, surely a difference in character. Yeah. Other thoughts on that?
5: Well, I would I would think that the the, the the problems that an that an urban voter would face would pretty much be the same as a as a rural voter. If you if you're arguing trans. You no know, transportation, you know, somebody with a broken car who lives in the city is probably going to be in the same boat as somebody with no car who lives out in the country. But what I go back to is that voter ID has been the law of the land for six years here in the state of Indiana. Who doesn't know by now that you've got to have an ID to go to the polls? I mean, this may sound elitist and crass, and maybe that's because it is. But if you can't figure it out after six years, maybe you don't need to be at the polling place because are you really helping humanity by casting – if you're this uninformed that after six years you don't have an ID and the political parties haven't helped you out get an ID, then maybe you ought to just stay home. Well, clearly, <laughs> at, at the risk of sounding crass and, and, and elitist. Right. Well, obviously, you know, we go back to the whole poll tax
1: literacy idea of where you can't legally test people to find out, you know, how much they know about the system because that's illegal. We want to get to our first phone caller right before we have to take our break. Uh, John is on the line right now with us. Uh, John, thanks for calling in to Noon Edition.
6: Well, sure. Um, it- Interesting discussion, but it—I it, uh, don't—I don't, I haven't heard anything yet about uh, the obvious pattern that uh, these voter uh, ID uh, laws uh, prevail in Republican-dominated states for the most part, um, and uh, and clearly the pattern is there for anyone to see. Uh, by contrast, you can take a look at a state like Oregon, which has vote by mail, and anyone can register online. The, uh, the system is, uh, is really available to everybody in a very easy way, and nobody has been able to demonstrate any kind of, uh, of systematic, widespread, or even localized voter fraud up in Oregon uh, through their system. Uh, it seems to me that uh, we're all talking around what seems to be pretty obvious code for keeping certain people from the polls, and I do believe that uh, uh, the fact that uh, these laws... uh, predominate in republican states uh, gives us a pretty pretty good clue about what's going on
1: thanks john brad why don't we as have you address that first as a republican appointee okay i can certainly address that i
3: I think what the caller may not be taking into account is that for years since the photo id law has been enacted in indiana and nationally uh, polls from all sorts of organizations have consistently shown a very high level of support among the public for presenting photo ID at the polls. It typically is in the range between 70 to 75 percent, and I don't think any poll shows that Republicans make up 70 to 75 percent of the voting age population. So there's clearly widespread support among the members of the public. Uh, There certainly is a partisan divide uh, between the two parties regarding this, and so It may be more likely that a state with a Republican legislature will consider and pass the law, but I don't think that means it's purely a Republican initiative or idea.
4: I I would like to comment on this as as well. Uh, As uh, many people know, the League of Women Voters is a strictly nonpartisan organization, and therefore it does not address this issue from the side of of either large party or any other party for that that matter. Um, However, uh, it is an, an, a rather well-known pattern in the nation, as the caller pointed out, that uh, this these laws tend to be enacted in Republican-dominated states. That may be – one reason could be simply that Republicans feel more uh, more strongly about the law. I have my doubts about that part, but okay – or that there could be a partisan advantage in it, as to the first, I want to refer back to the uh, League of Women Voters. The League strongly supports law as it exists. Uh, it does not does not attack it, but above it, even more strongly, the right to vote. And as to the uh, seeming innocence that Republican states uh, are not, do not have or Republican. Administrations may not have a special interest in this. I would like to point to today's New York Times, where the majority leader, uh, the leader of the majority in the House of of Representatives of Pennsylvania, where the active case is now, where everybody, uh, what everybody's looking at, said the following. Voter ID, which is going to allow Governor Romney to win the state of Pennsylvania, Done. I'm not saying that everybody uh, pushed a law like this with this in mind, but it is understandable that there is a prevalent feeling that this might help one's, well, overall sense of what is right if one is a Republican. Uh, partisan thought is is justified. This is why we have elections. One party wins this, one party wins that. This is fine. There's overall balance in this. What is not fine is if any party shows an inclination to uh, keep voters from the polls. I'm not talking about not being allowed to legally to vote. I'm talking about the intended effects of having fewer people vote.
1: We should probably point out quickly that, that you know, in these cases, there are, there's not a lot of hard data. Correlation does not necessarily mean causation in these cases. Uh, we have a number of phone callers on the line, but first, we need to take a quick break here on Noon Edition. If you want to get in, there's still a phone line or two open for you. Call us at 812-855-0811 or 877-285-9348. We will be right back on Noon Edition.
7: This is Noon Edition on WFIU. Production support comes from Smithville. Information at smithville.net and from Premier Ortho, online at mypremierortho.com. You can take WFIU with you by downloading podcasts directly to your PC, Mac, or MP3 player. Programs such as Noon Edition, Ask the Mayor and Harmonia, and short features like Kinsey Confidential, the Ether Game Musical Mini Quiz, and Play and Opera Reviews
2: Welcome back to Noon Edition. We are talking about photo ID laws here in the state of Indiana. We have with us Albrecht Holshoe, a member of the League of Women Voters of Indiana, Abdul-Hakim Shabazz, an attorney with Lewis and Wilkins, and a political commentator in Indianapolis, and Brad King, the Republican co-director of the Indiana Election Division. We want to go straight to our phone callers right now. So we have Charles on the line. Charles? Yes, I had a couple of
8: questions and a comment. First question is, what was the percentage of the population that voted in the last election?
5: Nationwide or in the state?
8: In the state of Indiana.
5: I want to say in the primary, it was about 20, what, 25, maybe 27 Mm percent, which is pretty standard for a primary turnout.
8: Okay, in the national election in 2008, what percentage voted?
1: Well, a little more than 50, I think. Is that right?
5: Mm Mm-hmm.
8: Okay. What's the percentage of voter fraud? How much voter fraud has there been, and what evidence is there of voter fraud?
5: Well, just go to St. Joe County.
2: <laughs> can you expand on that, Brad or Abdul? <laughs> we, we, can a, we can take a we can take a
5: geographic
3: people? we can take a geographic tour of Indiana, but we can start What's with St. Joseph County.
2: Do you have a percentage, percentage on
5: that? Well, well, I guess I guess the question is: Are you saying that out of you know one hundred thousand votes cast, how many of them were fraudulent? I mean, nobody has that. How many votes were cast in the last
8: election?
5: Well, like I said, it depends on the last election, when and where, and which election are you talking about. There are, the, there are, there are multiple races and multiple elections. The, the thing is this. I mean, hey, nice if, 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 your, if your argument is trying to say that because you can't show me voter fraud, you can't say fraud doesn't happen, then you know, so be it. You know, you're more than entitled to your opinion. However is, you, you cannot tell me that by having people show voter ID, you know, just sort of demonstrate who they are, the same thing you have to do... If, you no, know, Domino's drops off a pizza at your front door. You know, why isn't your right to protect your vote as important as getting pizza delivered?
8: My mother-in-law lives here in town. She comes from Missouri. She's 86. The Department of Motor Vehicles tells me for her to get a photo ID, what she needs is a copy, a raised seal copy of her birth certificate. She needs a copy of her marriage license. Since she's divorced, she needs a copy of the divorce decree, and she needs a copy of her second marriage license. Those are four documents. They're not free. They're not easy to get, particularly getting that birth certificate from Chillicothe, Missouri.
5: But how long has your mother-in-law been here? She's been here nine months. So you basically had nine months to to get all this paperwork together.
8: But you're saying? You're saying, I mean, people who live in rural areas who don't have professional uh, people as their children and can't help them get those documents, you're going to prevent those people from voting,
5: You don't. You don't need a. I'm sorry, but you don't need a.
8: No, but you don't need a. how
5: do you need a professional person to to get a hold of you know the folks in Chillicothe, Missouri, and say, "Hey, this is what we need." That's called picking up a phone. Oh,
8: no! You you don't understand the process of getting that birth certificate from a small town in Missouri.
2: I think we'll probably go ahead and uh, move on to the next caller. Thank you, Charles, for for calling in. We appreciate it. But
8: there's not evidence of voter fraud. Basically, thank you.
2: Thank you. Um, we're going to go to the next phone caller. Steve is on the line. Steve?
9: Yes. to The man who thinks it's easy for people, for example, like my sons who don't have cars, to get out there and uh, exercise their rights. I want to ask you, without looking, can you tell me what documents are and are not allowed to get an ID right now?
2: Brad, you could probably. Sure.
3: Thanks, the, uh, there's an extensive list of documents that you can find on the Bureau of Motor Vehicles website for uh, voter ID purposes.
9: No, no, I'm asking you, do you know off the top of your head?
3: I have the page in front of me that I could read I know, for the next half hour, but...
9: Do you, do, you, do you know without looking at a resource?
1: Uh, well, I mean, that's, that might be something of an unfair question, Steve, because there's lots of places that you should go to find out exactly what you need. And, and I mean, it, it would be incumbent upon voters to be informed, informed before they try to, right. to vote. A
9: friend of ours who was in the service went to college... Uh, was told that his, uh, birth certificate was hospital issued but not county issued, so he'd have to come back. You may be out of touch with the difficulties some people have in, a, uh, in a state that doesn't have great mass transportation to get to these sites. You may be a little naive about that, but I want to switch to something else. Mr. Hirschman, I believe, the legislator in Indiana who entered the voter ID, uh, law back in, what was it, 2005, 2006. Wasn't he a member of Alec? And hasn't Alec sponsored the, this legislation in at least eight different states so far? Two of which, by the way, have been ruled unconstitutional.
5: Well, you I don't know, know. I don't know what Alec did uh, in Indiana, but this was back in two thousand five. Right, so right, he was a member of Alec, wasn't he? Well, Mr. Hirschman, I mean, he may have been a member of Alec, but you got to understand. You know, when when this was done during the legislation, I remember being there on the floor. You know, watching watching the debate, you know the the Alec folks, you know their names never came up. Well, of course I they would, never come up, but he was he was a member of Alec, right?
3: I don't know personally whether yeah, he is yeah. or was or I, not, but I would I, I would, I would sure. just but I would just say that it it takes more than one legislator with an idea to have a law
4: well, become I don't enacted. Know about that. We, well, you know, let, we let to me let
3: me address you. it, please, by saying that the laws are passed by the elected representatives that voters throughout the state choose. They, right, may, course, they may make choices that we individually disagree with. Well, well, but if, there's here, the first, political, if the political will is there and a decision is made that a law is necessary, then that reflects the electoral process. Well, the courts are there to review if there's any constitutional problems, but well, we can't course, focus on the motive of one legislator as having yeah. some determinative effect about the law.
9: Well, of course they do. They, they, who, who is the entity that is frequently cited now? in coordinating Republican uh, uh, legislation like this. And all you have to do is look at the states that are passing these, especially since Obama was elected.
3: Well, and I guess what I would...
9: Sub- coordination. And you, you're right, that's the same line that Alex plays, by the way. Well, ultimately, the voters vote. Right, but the question is, who is designing the legislation in a state which has very, very little media oversight? Very few people are, are capable of doing the kind of deep research as individuals to recognize that the Republicans have been using coordinated legislative strategies.
1: At, the, at this point, Steve, I think I'm going to take offense, offense to saying that there is no media oversight, and I'll bet Abdul's going to take was, offense no, to that, and I, I think we're actually going to move on to another okay. caller. Uh, we're going go to we're gonna go to Pam real quick, who's on the line. Pam, thanks for calling into Noon Edition.
0: Hey, thanks so much. What a great topic, and I'm glad most people feel like I do, that this is voter suppression clear. and and uh, plain. I love this, that your speaker just say when a law is proved to be necessary. That is ludicrous. In both Indiana, I was just in Wisconsin yesterday, and they covered this very same issue up there on their public radio. As in Indiana, and Wisconsin, not one case of voter fraud based on this methodology could they address and bring to the court. So it's a solution in search of a problem. I, as a lawyer, totally offended. So can you prove it's never happened? Let me finish, please. I I won't go on too long. There are even states that uh, say no to student IDs. There are groups they are actually targeting that are the most likely to vote, uh, as they don't want people to vote. And the fact that students, the most transient population in the world, the older, the nuns up at St. Mary's, OMG, how can you think it's anything else?
1: Okay, thanks, Pam. We appreciate that phone call. I believe we have something coming in from our uh, our web chat.
0: This is something that
2: some of our callers have kind of touched on, but it kind of puts it a little more succinctly. They say uh, a poll by Fox News found that Democrats are four times as likely as Republicans to consider these laws as unnecessary deterrent to law-abiding citizens casting their ballot. Um, they asked, doesn't that suggest a partisan divide? And what could explain that? That might just kind of.
5: I w- I would I would argue that. I I can understand the frustration, although I think voter ID makes perfect sense for voting. I can understand the frustration from certain segments of the population that might think any – New rule, new regulation on voting. Uh, with the history that we've had in this country, particularly in certain places, disenfranchising folks who look like me may have and think, okay, are you really trying to, you know, do voter security, or <clears throat> excuse me, are you really trying to, to keep me away? In and, and Indianapolis, Maryland County, we move precincts around just because some places aren't available, some places are. People start getting all conspiratorial, think there's something going on, and certain people are trying to be disenfranchised. But, but, folks. Some days a cigar really is just a cigar. This is not about disenfranchising individuals. It's about simply keeping the integrity of the process. We are a much more mobile society than we were 100 or so years ago. ID is pretty standard pretty much a way of life. We don't complain about ID having been shown to get alcohol at the liquor store. I am just amazed that people will complain about having to show an ID just to make sure that that's you and that's your vote being cast. Just to try and be down the middle
1: as much as possible on this. The one thing we should also point out is, and having covered the legislature, this comes up a lot in questions I ask of legislators of both parties. um, we don't know what happens behind closed doors. We don't know what happens in these caucus rooms where we find that uh, the leaders of both parties are deciding what they want their party's
5: structure. That's to why eat. you just drink with some of them afterwards, and you find out what happened.
1: <laughs> you, you don't. You don't know what the official, you know, discussions are like. You don't know precisely what is being discussed. And so, to the gentleman who mentioned Alec, for instance, uh, it is impossible to say whether there is any coordinated effort in, in, by member, many members of the media. And so. Uh, to the to the idea of media oversight, uh, I submit to you it's a little harder than you might think it is. Uh, Darren has been waiting patiently on the, uh, the telephone line. Uh, Darren, thanks for calling in to Noon Edition this afternoon. Uh, what would you like to uh, ask our guests? We'll get Darren on here in just a second. <laughs> Darren... Uh Hang on while our producers are trying to get Darren off. There we there we are. Darren, good afternoon.
10: Hi. Hi, good afternoon. Yeah, just a couple of quick comments. Uh, if you play back or look in the archives, you'll find that voter fraud was very heavy in Chicago under Mayor Daley, and they actually had dead people voting. There were a couple hundred thousand votes cast by the dead, and they're not very informed. They don't get cable casket TV or anything. So, uh, you know, that's the thing under under most of the fraud has been under democratic tutelage so it's not surprising that they are reacting so violently or vehemently to any kind of id but you have to have an id for everything as the other gentleman said and i wondered if people are so concerned about people in the country why not the gentleman from league of voters can he go out there then and knock on doors and see who needs help getting birth certificates it's not that hard it's about 12 bucks, I know, because I called my city, hometown, and they said, we'll send it to you. Just send us a check. So it's, it's not unreasonable to have some kind of identi- identification to vote. So that's just my comment.
1: Thanks. Okay. Thanks, Darren. We appreciate it.
4: I'm very glad for this queue. Yes, the League would love to help anybody who has difficulty uh, securing the necessary documents. We need to hear from people. This is exactly what we want to do because the interest is to secure the right to vote. And we do this as much as we can. And, in fact, we would love it if other people would join us in this.
1: So are you saying that the League could use volunteers to help people, for instance, get their identification and get people to polls, things like that?
4: More important even than that, even though we certainly need that, we need uh, people to actually say that they would like to vote. And could use help.
1: Okay. Let's uh, move on to uh, another phone caller. We have uh, Anne on our telephone line who's been there for a little while. Anne, good afternoon. Thanks for calling into Noon Edition. Hi.
11: Um,
1: Do you have a question for our panelists? Hi.
11: I have a couple of comments. Um, the, I I have heard repeatedly that you have to show. I have a couple of comments. Okay. Okay. Um, I've heard repeatedly that you have uh, to show your ID all all the time. The only time I ever have to show my ID is when I fly, and I don't have a constitutional right to fly, but I do have a constitutional right to vote, and nothing should infringe my constitutional right to vote. The
1: let me ask you a quick question, Anne. Are you saying you've been to a poll recently and in the last several years and not been asked to show an ID? I have
11: certainly been asked to, to, to show my ID, and I have shown it. But but I, but I what I'm just saying is that I have, you know, been sh- given all these examples of you show have to show your ID at the grocery store. I do not have to show my ID at the grocery store. That's ridiculous.
1: There is a the law in the books that is, says if I you're was, buying I alcohol and you appear under 40, you have to show an
11: ID. Would say that it's, it's just...
5: Uh, an additional regulation that the public. I'm afraid. Yeah, let me let me, let me but, but, but let me let me chime in on 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 Anne's point. I mean. First of all, no constitutional right is unfettered. There have always been regulations on all our constitutional rights. I mean we all have the right to free speech, but I can 't start using a stream of profane words on wfiU 's airwaves, otherwise Thank you for all, that. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> otherwise we, we all get in trouble I mean we 've always had regulations on voting, particularly time, place, and manner. you don 't have the right to vote when the polls aren't open. I mean so let's, let's be reasonable. and the question is, is, does the regulation put an undue or unnecessary burden on the voter? With the intent to disenfranchise people based on protected status, it's, okay. it's that simple. And and and, and, I, and I and I go back to plain and simple. ID is a 20th century way of life. And okay, uh, my, it,
11: my second comment.
5: Okay, if it's quick.
11: My second comment.
1: Yes, quickly, please.
11: My second comment is that I think it's just that the Republican Party is fighting regulations from and the
2: I'm sorry, Anne. You're cutting regulations
11: it. to the people who are most vulnerable and least able to uh, cope. People like uh, elderly women and uh, you know and minority groups that may have difficulty being able to obtain documentation because they live in areas where where the, the sources aren't readily available. So I think it's really curious that the Republican Party wants additional regulation in this one instance when they fight it in all other instances. Okay, okay. thanks, Ann.
2: Thanks, Anne. We're going to move on to the next caller. We have a few still on the line. So, Charlie, do you have a question? Hello? Charlie, you're on the air.
12: Oh, hi. Uh, I just wanted to uh, ask Brad if he would like to uh, comment uh, on uh, the recent uh, voter ID fraud uh, in our state of uh, Charlie White, the Secretary of State, because I would think that he would feel that this would be a a case in point uh, to show that uh, voter fraud uh, is a problem because there don't seem to be other ways to show it.
3: All right, Brad. Oh, no, I think there are plenty of other ways to show it. There are different types of voter fraud. The, how much voter fraud
12: is going on?
3: How, how many uh, rob, people, how many robberies take are, place in Bloomington each year?
12: No, no, no. No, it's other the same people, point. You, you're not able to document.
3: You, you're not able to document every episode question, that occurs. You
12: haven't, you haven't been able to document. You haven't been able to give us clear examples of voter fraud. However, Charlie White, Secretary of State, Republican Secretary of State, was convicted. Now, I was wondering if you would like to comment upon that case of voter That's
3: fraud. what I was attempting to do. The the case in particular involving Charlie White was one type of voter fraud where he was convicted of voting in a precinct where he did not live. That's different than the photo ID uh voter impersonation type of fraud and the what some might call massive absentee fraud that we've seen in some elections in parts of the state. But right. the voter
12: but the voter ID law didn't prevent that Voter fraud.
3: Laws against speeding don't prevent people from speeding.
12: But where is the voter fraud that you are preventing, and how can you uh, quantify that so that we can see that this is important?
3: Well, then let's I, I think talk about other the
12: people have have clearly pointed out in 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 a, uh, that this is a Republican strategy that's going on nationwide with. Uh, the purpose of helping the Republican Party. Now, if you say, that Char- Charlie, I'm gonna,
1: gonna, I'm actually gonna stop you right there. Uh, we've we've kind of been over that point. We've got a number of callers. I really want to try and get in and as many different points as we possibly can. We we definitely appreciate your call, but we're gonna move along uh, to to Deborah, who is on the line. Deborah, thanks for calling into Noon Edition.
11: Yes, hi. Um, we're talking a lot about IDs and the difficulty of securing them, uh, marriage, divorce records, whether the birth record is from the hospital, the courthouse. I'd like to hear how the members of the panel feel about a national ID, something that I think a lot of Americans are, are really loath to embrace that idea. But the reality is we do tend to need IDs to transact business, uh, you know, enroll in college, and just to move around in our world today. So um, I wonder how your panel feels about that.
4: I would very much like to respond to that. Uh, And in this case, I'm I'm not speaking for the League of Women Voters, but from uh, from my life experience of uh, having grown up on a different continent in Europe and uh, having been in contact with with, uh, cultures in Europe over the decades. Um, All the other nations that that I can think of in the uh, the West have uh, personal identification cards. And uh, it is something that is established beginning with birth and continues through life. The record is simply updated as needed, and that is that. If we had that, the case would be closed. Uh, Americans have this this very curious thing. They they want to be free. Therefore, they claim they don't want to have a personal ID, but of course they need it all the time. Since many Americans drive, they uh, they use a driver's license, and if not, then they are offered other things and so on. I, I sometimes uh, have the uh, the image in front of me of the American as uh, uh, being one of those uh, mythical figures from ancient times. Uh, they were a horse body and a human on top. So w- Americans think of themselves as being a car below and, uh, and a human on top and if they were always uh, born together or something like this. Th- so a, a system of national ID would easily resolve all of this. It would take a few decades to uh, implement fully and we could start now and an attempt was actually made within the last decade and it failed. Uh,
1: It's one of these funny things like it occurs to me that it says on the back of your Social Security card, don't laminate this, for instance, which makes it easier to destroy (laughs) your Social Security (laughs) card and have to go get a new one. I have done this. Um, Anyway, uh, thanks for the call, uh, Deborah. We certainly appreciate it. That's a very interesting point that we hadn't gotten to yet. We have one uh, remaining caller on the line. Luke, thanks for being so patient with us. Uh, Good afternoon. Thanks for calling the noon into Noon Edition.
13: Oh, my pleasure. I think this is a very interesting topic. Um, just a couple of quick comments, one about the national ID. As you brought up the Social Security card, I feel like we have one in place already and, and uh, what's a photo identification that, that we've been discussing. seems like you could cross-reference those two and we don't really need decades of wasting money to already um, recreate a, a system that I feel like is already in place. Now, as far as the, the various um, things that you need an ID for, I didn't know if you need an ID to cash a welfare check or do you need an ID um, to get food stamps or get on any government assistance program, because if that's the demographic that we are disenfranchising, um, I feel like the majority of those uh, people already have uh, IDs because they need that to get the assistance that our government has provided.
5: Wow, you sound like somebody really smart that I know. I like you.
1: <laughs> <laughs> Luke, thank you. Thank you for calling in. That's, uh, I think, a fair point. Um, wow, well, we got we have about two minutes. How to wrap this whole thing up?
2: I, I have one question. You know, just think looking at the history of this, we have um, seen that a lot of states have begun to adopt these kinds of laws just kind of. To wrap it up, what do you all think, um, kind of where are we headed in the next few years? Do you expect states to adopt more of these laws, or do we see any kind of reversal going on?
5: Uh, <clears throat> I don't, unless the, unless the courts step in, I don't see a reversal. What I would suggest to the folks who have called into this program uh, who have a fundamental problem with voter ID, then I would find an organization or people that you support and help those people that you say don't have IDs help them to get IDs. Because if this is a vast right-wing conspiracy, it's the worst conspiracy I've ever seen because everybody knows about it. Brad, your thoughts? Where are we going?
3: I would say we're headed towards more photo ID laws being adopted in different states across the country, but no sort of national standard in terms of photo ID requirements. Uh, The states currently have many different procedures they use for the election process, whether that's voting by mail at precincts, et cetera. And so I think we'll continue to see the same sort of diversity. And all in
1: thirty seconds or so. Where are we headed?
4: I cannot tell. <laughs> but what, what I That's can tell, answer. but what I can tell is that we greatly need uh, to pay attention to those who may be disenfranchised this way or may feel discouraged this, this way. If you want to call the league locally, 334 Okay. Thank
1: you. And I think uh, that actually brings up an interesting point, which is that has kind of permeated this whole discussion is more data is always a good thing. The more numbers we've got, the more investigation we can do into these things, the more surety we have out of all of this. So let me thank uh, the three of you for being here. Thank all of our callers. Uh, a great discussion today. Uh, and uh, can we have you three back to discuss like, whether the Mets or the Yankees are better next week? I, and we get tons and tons of calls. <laughs> I'm a know? White Sox fan, so I'm, and I'm so. a Cub fan. So, <laughs> so you and I are coming back next week. Uh, for Gretchen Frazee, Dan Goldblatt, Julie Raw, Mike Pashkas, I'm Stan Jastrzewski. Thanks for listening to New Edition here
9: online at mypremierortho.com